Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. I'm Yaz Rana and with me today to talk all things cricket are the fit and healthy Wisdom Cricket Monthly duo of Joe Harmon and Phil Walker. How are you both doing? Never felt better. Mm, good, thank good, you, Yaz. Good, yeah. good. I feel very lost without my laptop. You um, look lost without your I've laptop. I've got my laptop's only out of action at the moment and I've got two sheets of paper. I feel like very Hugh Edwards. Um, <laughs> I like it though, you're going to have to freestyle from here on. <laughs> yeah, let's see how it goes. Um, Phil, what's your moment of the week? Blimey, that was quick. Uh, what was my moment of the week? Well, it's been a thin week, hasn't it, for cricket? Um, from an England fan, like way to start from an England fan's point of view. Oh, come on! <laughs> it's not like there's been a big, hefty test series to get your so teeth stay into. Stay tuned, folks. There is one coming up, of course, um, and it's the the phony war before that um, in Sri Lanka. Uh, Matt Parkinson took four for sixty odd um, in that first warm up game. Uh, I would probably plump for that. I would say uh, it was. I haven't been able to find any footage of it. If there are, if is any out there, do let me know, folks. Uh, but I've read about it. Um, he bowled, he bowled comfortably the best that he's bowled with a red ball uh, for England. Um, he was a peripheral figure in the the first two tours of the winter. Went along to both of them as probably the sixteenth man in those squads. Um, given his given a chance in that first game, and he's done absolutely uh, nothing to suggest that he shouldn't be in the mix for that. Uh, first test match squad my instinct is that he probably will miss out because it sounds like Jack Leach is recovering and recovering well um, but it's good to see firstly it's good to see that they picked him again because he may have thought he might have missed out on the Sri Lanka tour after not really pulling up any trees at all in South Africa so it was good to see that they've backed him again I think the presence of Jeet and Patel there as England's uh, new spin coach is uh, a factor in all of that, um, and he will be working with him quite closely. Uh, from what I read from Paul Newman in the in the Mail, um, who's an astute judge of these things, he varied his pace very well um, in in these in these two spells that he bowled in that first warm up game. And um, this was the the question mark around him uh, that emerged during the South Africa tour that he's maybe a little bit slow for international cricket. Um, be that as it may, that may there may be something in that. Uh, certainly, the numbers suggested that he was on the slow side comparatively to other wrist spinners around the world. But he is a kid, and as he said himself in an interview afterwards, he's played twenty first class games, twenty games of yeah. red ball cricket. Uh, and his record in that well is really good. One, and his record is very good indeed. Yeah, he, he averages twenty five. Exactly, he took a ten for in his first 
four-day game last summer for Lanks, having not really featured up until July, turned up, took six for 22 on the first day of a Lancashire game. So um, he has a, a nascent record in Red Bull cricket, but a good one and a promising one. So it's good to see that he's still involved in that setup. Um, it might be a bit too early for him to get that test match nod, but the fact that he r- remains a part of, of their, their thinking is a good thing and a, and a positive thing, especially with India uh, tour, the India tour coming in, uh, in in 12 months or so from now. And Don Best as well took a three for in that game, so it's quite encouraging. I think between them, Best and Parkinson are 22 and 23, respectively, and they've got nearly, 100, nearly 180, 190 first-class wickets between them at 27, if you combine their two careers... Which is which is really good stuff. Some a string of impressive performances from England in the two warm up games. Um, they paid one and they paid the first day of the second one. In the first game, Root and Butler both scored seventies in England's first innings. Parkinson and Best took seven wickets between them. Wokes also took two for twenty one of his eight overs. Crawley scored ninety one. Pope hit seventy seven in the second innings. A um, couple of other interesting performances of note. Jennings hit nineteen and twenty three in his two innings, and Folk scored fifty one unbeaten runs across the game. And on day one of the second game which is today, Zach Crawley hit 100, mm. um, Root and Pope ended the day on 90 and 84, respectively. Crawley's led from the front, taking quite an attacking approach, the one that worked very well for England in 2018. He said, uh, speaking to Sky Sports, we had a chat about this the other day and said we need to be positive and put the ball under pressure, especially on Turners. There are maybe going to be ones that are too good for you in the end. He's not played much in Asia, so that's really encouraging from Crawley so early on in his career. It is, and with Crawley, I think that's not him playing outside of his comfort zone. I think that's playing the way he naturally plays. He's, he's a more attacking opening batsman than Dom Sibley, and, and those two should hopefully complement each other nicely out there. As you say, he wouldn't have played much spin. It's a really good test for him. If he can come through this, then I think England can can be really confident about having a player for the next the next few years. Obviously, we've got Roy Burns to come back in, so there is there's this kind of now we've got almost too many top order options. Who'd have thought it? Um, Denley is probably feeling the pressure as mm. as he is whenever we seem to do this podcast. Um, but it's a really promising start for for Crawley, uh, who's obviously got a bit about him. Mm. Uh, yeah, um, Pope's obviously the story of the winter in terms of players who have come through. But Crawley is slowly, quietly making a case for himself. You know, he made his he made his maiden fifty in the fourth test, I think, or maybe the third. Yeah, but he, he made a good forty in the third test, and as he well. kept on. Improving on his yeah, career best he was on score. for some kind of record, wasn't <laughs> yeah. he? I think at yeah. one stage. I, I like the approach as well. Um, from memory, when they were out there two years ago, you know, 300, 320, That's a good score. Uh, admittedly, Mickey Arthur, the new Sri Lanka coach, um, said that the pitches may well differ from what they they appeared to be two years ago. So we'll have to wait and see on that. But uh, I think a positive approach is probably necessary. It's not like a dead, turgid Indian style track. Or Sri Lankan tracks of of old, in fairness, you know, where 500 plays 550 and you can bed in for as long as you like. I think it will reward players who play with a bit of enterprise. Uh, so it's good to see Crawley uh, developing and growing into an international uh, quality cricketer. And Butler as well, who did so well there oh, in I 2018. I wonder if you've met him, yeah. Yeah. Him, yeah. yeah, good to see him. He, you know, he smashed that 70, as you mentioned, in the first, first game. And it looks like he will get the nod. Um, ahead of folks it looks like that certainly what was indicated before they went out there it's a contentious point we've done it to death we'll probably try and resurrect it in five minutes and do it a bit more yeah you're nodding sagely yeah, yeah okay well I'll leave that to you then <laughs> um, it's quite a strong shrank and pair of teams they've played against. I think there are four people who play test cricket or international cricket rather in the team that 
England played last week. Um, for, for actually, for such a short tour, it looks like England have prepared mm. really well, more so than they did for the New Zealand tour a few months back. Um, two proper matches against two decent opposition. I would be very surprised if I you remember this, but on a podcast we did um, over a year ago, I mentioned a Sri Lankan guy called Patham Nisanka. Yes. Any belt? Yeah? Yes, yeah. genuinely. Yeah, so he... I remember at the time saying, this guy's got an amazing first-class record. Why is he playing? So he's playing in the a team against England. A bunch of double centuries. Had you got, he's a got double? loads of double hundreds. Yeah, yeah. And he... So he's 21 and he averages 68 in first-class cricket with 1300s. Um, and the question is, why, why isn't he playing? I mean, not that I, I don't... You're looking for an answer here. I'm yeah. not sure. I, I can't pick out any kind of faults in his technique at this stage. Give me a couple of weeks. But his numbers are amazing. They do stack up. It's not as if like loads of guys in the Sri Lankan first-class cricket average loads. But Sri Lankan selection is always slightly uh, slightly head-scratching, isn't it? In That's that true. Kushal Pereira, uh, only a few months after playing perhaps the greatest innings in Test history, <laughs> was suddenly out of the Test squad. Yeah. I know he's back in for this series, isn't he? He's got a finger injury, so he's in the squad, but he still might not play. Okay. So, Joe... What do you think the England eleven should be for the first test in Gaul that starts next Thursday? Do you want me to reel them off? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Uh, Crawley, Sibley, Denley, Root, Stokes, Pope, which I think pretty much picks itself at this stage. I have gone for Folks as my keeper. Um, it was good to see Butler getting runs, and I still don't think Butler's test career is over by any means. But I did say before this series that I thought Folks was the better option in Sri Lanka, and I'm not going to change that on the basis of one Butler score. And also, Folks has got a few anyway. Then with the bowlers, I've gone... A late change of heart, actually. I've gone Wokes, Bess, Leach, Broad. Um, it was Wokes or Sam Curran for me that was the, the difficult choice, but I've gone for who I think is just the better bowler, given that you've only really got two frontline seamers in that squad. So, yeah, Wokes just ahead of Sam Curran. Phil? Uh, I have Butler by a nose um, uh, ahead of Folks, and I've picked Wokes ahead of Curran uh, in the, the second seamer slot. Aside from that, my side is the same as Joe's. And Parkinson, um, Parkinson was close for me, but it's it's just you can't. I can't work out how to get him in there. Really, there's not a. You can't pick him ahead of Bess and Leach, and particular suggestions that perhaps not going to spin quite as much or be quite as spin dominant as last time, which was extraordinarily spin dominant. Then you might end up thinking, do we really need these three spinners, particularly when two of them are so inexperienced? But just to echo what Phil was saying at, at the top, it's really good to see Parkinson do so well because there was that chat around it that he'd actually managed to drift away without even really mm. playing and I think Parkinson himself said it's not really fair to judge me on on one game and it reminded me of Adil Rashid actually also in South Africa in 2010 2009 2010 mm. when he went as a sort of backup spinner everyone was keen for him to play he didn't play and by the end of the series England seemed to think he wasn't really good enough so actually rather than um kind of accelerate his development the tour put him back a while and, and actually quite a few years mm. it's only really when he came into his own as a one-day bowler that he came back into the test side um so it's good with Parkinson that he's shown them that he has got he is a, a an exciting young bowler who can potentially play test cricket particularly with the challenges they've got ahead I think it's important to remember for the 2018 tour as well England had three spinners but that was including Moeen who's a top seven batsman at the same time yeah. so without him you can't you can't fit in three spinners that obviously yeah I've gone um Sibley, Crawley, Root at three, Stokes, Pope, Butler, Folks, Wokes. I did have Curran, but I have, I'm going to change my mind and put in Broad, Bess and Leach. Um, I don't think they'll actually do that, but I would play Butler and Folks. I think both are better batsmen in Sri Lanka than Joe Denley. And I think in Sri Lanka, I think Joe Root would be more willing in theory to bat three than he would be on a green team at home in England. Yeah, I think there's logic to that, uh, but it's such pie in the sky, it's barely worth getting to the end of your list because Joe just won't bat three anymore mm. and that's that. 
there's a lot of logic to that team. You picked that team online when we did this for wisdom.com a month or two ago, and I I was tempted to pick that side as well, in effect. Uh, but th- that story's done, and his argument will be, not without reason, I need to decompress. If I've been in the field making decisions every two minutes, and we're in the field for 100 overs, and it's 40 degrees, I don't want to be strapping on my pads and walking out there after five minutes. Um, he wants to walk out there after 10 yeah <laughs> fair enough um but do you think i don't necessarily subscribe to it yeah but that would be the argument that would be the counter argument do you think there's a possibility of england getting a bit funky and potentially batting folks at three so i kind of think that it's a, a bit silly that england's two best batsmen on their last tour they're fighting for one spot both have done quite well in the first warm-up game why not i see where you're coming both? from but i don't think the say it's sort of similar argument to what Phil's saying on on Root having captain for however many overs. Mm. If Oakes has had to keep wicket for that long, and mm. then you put him in at three where he doesn't really bat, I think that's asking a lot of him. It's the sort of thing actually I could definitely see England doing yeah. because it is the sort of thing they do. I think, but I, think I, the fun- I wouldn't do. I it. think the funkiness would be to bat Stokes at three. As we're having this silly pub conversation, I think Stokes to bat three. Uh, you know, he's is technically sound as a pound. Is well, that, maybe not. It's, it's just it's implausible. Sure, but sure, I can broadly construct a flimsy argument uh, that Stokes's technique warrants would warrant that position that he'll be facing probably medium paces and spinners quite early doors he, he, he very plays. disrespectful to Saranga Lakmal but yeah go on yeah no, and you know you're right you're right you know he's he nips it around yeah there could be an argument for Stokes to play to play at three and then you you kind of burnish the middle order or buttress the middle order with with folks in there that would be quite persuasive actually but and Stokes you wouldn't have thought it's going to do a huge amount of bowling on those pitches oh, necessarily I think I think he might I mean Mickey Arthur talking about slightly flatter wickets he's your fifth bowler he bowled very well there in Sri Lanka in 2018. Actually, he was probably England's best seamer there. So I, I actually foresee him bowling. I mean, quite I'm not saying he wouldn't do a good job, but mm. you've got to always be protecting his body. And in that England 11, you've got Denley and Root to bowl additional spin overs as well. So I just think I think they'll use him as a, they should use him as an impact bowler rather than getting loads of overs under his We've belt. We've talked before about Ollie Pope being a potential long-term option for England at number three. Do you think this series, you know, it's a low-key series? Nah, not yet. No. And well, you say low-key series, but World Test Championships up for point as you. Uh, laid out last yeah, week. True, everything true. is riding on this. Yeah. Um, well, not quite everything, but a lot is riding on this. Uh, so no, I think it, let's not mess around with that. Yeah, I, I, I just think there's a lot of logic behind paying Butler and folks, and I think even if that requires somebody batting a position where you don't ideally want them to, I think it is worth doing. Because I think quietly they don't want to create a problem for themselves either. They want Butler to keep and keep okay, not make any stinkers. There's going to be a maximum of 10 days cricket and then it's done for a couple of months. And they are probably quietly hoping to get through what's been a broadly successful winter uh, by getting a result of sorts in Sri Lanka and Butler doing okay. If they were to bring folks in who keeps immaculately, Butler bats at six and maybe doesn't pull up any trees with the bat, that compounds what's already quite a difficult question for for the England selectors. But it's a, it's a question that they've answered in their heads. They want to c- carry on with Butler, which I agree with. dropping folks again for no fair reason, yeah. which they've already done once. Yeah, indeed. indeed. Yeah. So they'll be crossing their fingers big time that, that mm. Butler just doesn't, doesn't balls up. I just think it's quite interesting that for a long time, Ed Smith talked about horses for course selection, but we basically agreed that it's going to be a very conventional England 11 with just one more spinner than we you might normally be wrong. have. We might be wrong. We, we generally are. You know, 
We're normally right. Are we normally right? It's been known <laughs> for us to be wrong, I true, think it's true. fair to say. <laughs> New Zealand, uh, India and New Zealand. Well, I, I can't believe yeah. you keep digging me out on that one. I don't think many people are back in New Zealand, That is true. They? That is true. <laughs> All that chat, of course, is assuming that that series goes ahead. <laughs> yeah, it's not um, going <laughs> on, on Wednesday, Sri Lanka confirmed its first cases of coronavirus, COVID-19. Their government has subsequently halted on-arrival visas for tourists. And they've also urged the public to avoid foreign travel. England had already banned handshakes and all interaction with fans. Sporting events around the world are being suspended all over. There'll be a decision made on the IPL that's supposedly supposed to start later this month on Saturday. Um, I spoke to an ECB spokesperson about how it will likely affect the start of the English summer. Currently no plans to postpone or suspend anything, but they are working closely with the relevant authorities to come up with a plan that's safe for everyone. Separately, I asked a question concerning the practice of ball shining mm. and whether or not the ECB will ban them. They said there are no immediate plans to do so yet. Um, I asked that question more about club cricketers, actually, than county cricketers. I think hard one different. to police that. Yeah, it's very hard one to police. Yeah, but it is interesting. If we're saying you shouldn't be shaking hands, but you can chuck around a ball covered in each other's spit, that doesn't do. seem. It's common sense, really, though. Yeah. But as a 60 mile per hour. And, and for a non contact sport, it's a very tactile sport. You know, if 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 Stokes takes his fifth wicket to win the game by, by 20 runs on day four, I can't imagine them all just sort of standing back and just well, any, saluting one another. And this is it, as soon as the excitement gets, I saw it in the Liverpool match last night. I mean, they're obviously all directed not to shake hands, but Atletico have just got a great win and they're all rubbing each other's mm. faces and kissing each other. Yeah. And obviously, it's sport, that's what's going to happen. Mm. Um, we're not going to talk about the shoulds and shouldn'ts of whether or not stuff should be postponed. Because we don't, because we don't know anything. We don't know anything about <laughs> it, and obviously the effect on cricket is non-existent in the grand scheme of things. Um, but it does look like cricket will be affected in one way or another very soon. Joe, there was news this week that Chris Wokes has pulled out of the IPL to concentrate on his England Test career, which is nice to hear. I guess it is. I think one of the quotes was, "I've I've been there, done that for the IPL," which I don't think he meant it quite like that. But probably has has um, Kybosh any chance of him ever playing in the IPL again? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's. He said, I think that if there was any chance, realistic chance of playing in the T Twenty World Cup this winter, then he would have gone to the IPL to try and kind of prove himself. But he's sort of oddly slipped away as a T Twenty international bowler. I don't think he's played since two thousand and fifteen. I think largely because they were protecting him for fifty over cricket at the World Cup, and now he's just not seen as that kind of bowler. But he actually had one really good IPL, didn't he? For, he four, did the first four, one. Four years ago. Yeah, he, he was signed by Kolkata. Uh, funnily enough, I spoke to him the day before it. Um, I actually phoned him up on the Sunday night and uh, he said, I'm not expecting anything. It's fine. You know, I'm just going to go to bed and, you know, I wake up and if something's there, then great. But I'm not expecting anything. I'm in the auction, but no, no expectations. Woke up and he was something like 900 grand richer. <laughs> Must be nice. Yeah. And he had, you're right, he had a really good good first edition out there. But then he had a, it was certainly very expensive and then got dropped last time he was out there, I think. Mm. So he might well have been weighing this up and looked at the team that was out there and like, am I actually going to play that much? He could obviously do with a breather. It's been pretty intense for all of England's cricketers, particularly the ones that were part of the, the World Cup. Um, and it's good. It's nice to see that Wokes is a cricketer who's got his priorities in, in that order with international cricket first, IPL riches second. Um, as he says, he has that taste of the IPL. Um, and I, I, I think he'll be really important for England this summer um, in English conditions. I think he's still in, in England's best side more often than not. Um, so, yeah. I guess two points. Number one, his decision is something you can only really do if you've got a central contract. Mm-hmm. Quite hard to say no to that mu- money if you don't have the... It's a very different to Moen's 
exactly. Man Ali situation. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and number two, I, I think, I don't know, I thought, I thought we had a reasonable chance of playing quite a lot in the IPL. So Ricky Ponting, the coach of Delhi Capitals before the auction, had pointed to Pat Cummins and Chris Wokes as two overseas bowlers he thought would go for a lot of money. He didn't get Pat, Pat Cummins, but he got Chris Wokes. So if, you, if the coach was calling him out so early, you think he'd have a reasonable chance of playing. And also... Um, yeah, he hasn't played a T20i for five years. He hasn't even played a T20 match anywhere since 2018. But if you have a good IPL, that's you're, you're back into the England reckoning easily. Two good IPL games, you're back in the England Certainly reckoning. Certainly in and terms also, of the bowlers. Exactly. Yeah. It's not that clear who the bowlers are. And Chris Wokes is a World Cup winner who's been so reliable for England for many, many years. It also, though, in the quotes, he spoke about needing a break, needing mm. a breather. Uh, and he's not the kind of cricketer or bloke to make a song and dance about it but again he's one of those who's played month after month year after year um it, he's got a, a family too as well exactly he's got a young young family as well it's a good sign i think really and and he's a massively underappreciated cricketer i think we're taking for granted in england um but joe's right you know it'll be another summer where he'll be there or thereabouts and and there's a lot of talk about the the big quicks you know you your Ollie Stones and your obviously your Joffras and so on, um, and the desire for real quicks, absolutely sure. But Jimmy Anderson's thirty, God, thirty eight, thirty seven, thirty eight now. Um, Chris Wokes can can make a passable impression of Jimmy Anderson over the next three or four years in Test cricket. Um, an impression, I say, he's not going to ape him, but uh, we get, we have to protect him, you know. And, and it's a good sign that he's reached this decision off his own bat as well. I think, you know. So you know how last week I sent you a WhatsApp late on a Saturday evening with a Peter Such stat? The Peter Such yeah. fact. I, w- I was very close to doing that again this Saturday. <laughs> to me? Yeah, about Chris Wokes, actually. So Chris can Wokes. We, can we make this a tradition? Yeah. yeah. The, the, nice. I've got to set an alarm on Does my Phil phone. reply to these messages? No, no, no I don't doesn't. think so. Um, but Chris Wokes, only 16 or only 17 bowlers ever have taken more wickets for England in international cricket than Chris Wokes. He's really quite up for this. He's got 245 international wickets. That's he's, lovely. He's 31 and we're still talking about him as like, well, will he eventually take over from Anderson and Broad, etc. And um, also you forget what a good batsman he is as yeah. well. I mean, this is, when I was weighing up, should it be Curran or should it be Wokes? I was like, well, Wokes is a better bowler. But, and actually in terms of runs, I don't think Sam Curran's necessarily going to score more runs than Wokes in a test match at this stage. Oh, well, Chris Wokes' first class record is phenomenal. Like, he averages nearly 40 10 or so first class 100 Sam Curran's not got a first class 100 yet Bad at first drop in a World Cup for exactly yeah, I was going to mention that <laughs> not many people can say they've done that <laughs> moving on Joe what's your moment of the week so my moment of the week uh, is looking back 30 years to what became known as the year of the bat uh, in county cricket when a extraordinary number of runs were scored um, so I spoke to Angus Fraser and Jonathan Agnew who were doing their best to stop these batsmen scoring those runs and Alan Butcher, um, Mark's father, and David Ward, who played here at the Oval for, for many years, who both scored more than 2,000 runs each across the summer. Uh, so just, I'll give you a couple of stats just to make clear how ridiculous summer was. So across the year, there were 428 first-class hundreds, which beat the... 428? <laughs> which beat the previous record of 414 set in 1928. Now, 32 of those hundreds uh, came in the first two rounds of fixtures... <laughs> Uh, and included two triples and seven double centuries. Um, it was ridiculous. So there was one bank holiday weekend where uh, at Cardiff, Salmonset scored 535 for two declared, Jimmy Cook scoring a triple century. 
Meanwhile, at Chelmsford, Essex replied to Leicestershire's poultry 520 by piling on 761 for six. Uh, double centuries for Graham Gooch and Paul Pritchard. I actually watched some of that. Did Genuinely, you actually? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Pritchard was my, my hero when I was about 10 or 11. I used to love watching him play, and I remember that double hundred. But then the most ridiculous one was here at the Oval. So Surrey scored 707 for nine declared, Ian Gregg scoring 290. And Lancashire replied with 863 all out, Neil Fairbrother scoring 366. And the scoreboard operator was famously scrabbling around looking for another nail in case Lancashire went past four digits and they had to find another another place to hook this up. So it's just an extraordinary summer. So it's kind of reflections on, on how it happened. I've got quite a few questions. Well, okay. the ob- obvious one is, how did that happen? Was it just a really good summer for weather? So like particularly that first couple of weekends quite early in the season and they were scoring triple hundreds and double hundreds for fun? Yeah, well, this is part of what I was trying to get to the, the bottom of, really. And unsurprisingly, you get different versions of events depending on if you're speaking to batsmen or bowlers. But Angus Fraser said it was a, it, the trigger was the Ashes defeat the previous summer. England lost 4-0, used 12 seamers across the series, none of which were very successful. And the response was... Ah, oh, it's too easy for county cricket for English seamers. We've got to make it harder. So the uh, the TCCB, who the forerunners of the ECB, directed groundsmen to prepare straw-coloured pitches. So basically, take the grass off. They also changed the ball. So a 15-strand seam was reduced to nine strands, and the height of the seam was reduced by 20%. So Jonathan Agnew told me the ball did absolutely nothing. He compared it to like bowling with a hockey ball. Uh, in that game at Chelmsford, he returned figures of none for 170 which were the most expensive in Leicestershire's history at, at that point. Um, and he tells a story of... Beautiful, this. Yeah, so when he t- it was a couple. So he said initially he was, he was bowling to Graham Gooch and wanting to impress Gooch, who was English captain, and thinking, well, I'm coming to the end of a career. But, you know, if you get the England captain, you might get another test match out of it. Gooch piles on 100, piles on another 100, and Agnew's thinking, well, I've just got to try and get him out somehow. So calls deep square leg in, says, come in on the single. There's no point in me bowling a bouncer. It's a bluff. He obviously bowls the bouncer, at which point Gooch just launches him for six out of the ground and says, you're going to have to try better than that, Aggers. <laughs> and then after eventually getting Gooch out, Neil Foster comes out, who is quite a big rival of Jonathan Agnew's. I think they're kind of competing for the same England spot for a while. Uh, and Foster just slogged because Essex already had loads on the board. Um, and on 90, top edge to Agnew bouncer down to fine leg, absolute sitter, which was put down, dropped. Foster goes on to score 100 and rubs it in Agnew's... Agnew's face and then for the every match for the rest of the summer wherever it was Agnew arrived and there was an envelope waiting for him and inside the envelope was a photocopy of his bowling figures from that match <laughs> sent to him by Neil Foster uh, and this was kind of this was indicative of the, of the summer as as a whole just being extraordinary uh, and David Ward says quite sweetly I, I prefer to think that I batted quite well uh, and that is and and but there is definitely the theme of batsmen thinking that bowlers whinge at the best of times and even Fraser himself said well, there's nothing wrong with a bit of hard work now and again, is there? Um, but it, it just I particularly was interested in the story because we obviously see what happens in county cricket now. If an opening batsman is averaging 30 for the year, they're doing a decent enough job, really. Uh, and I don't think we'll be seeing 30-odd hundreds in the mm. first two rounds of fixtures come late April. Did, did the run scoring decline as the season went ahead? Like, did bowlers kind of get more used to using this ball? Um not it declined a bit from those first two weeks which were particularly ridiculous mm. but no David Ward scored two double centuries in his last three games of oh, the wow. year um, the bowlers so a few bowlers still did well but they were really the best I mean Wacko Yunus Malcolm Marshall Ian Bishop did well but the English seamers with the exception of Angus Fraser who was playing a bit for England but also helping Middlesex win the championship I think he averaged 26 for the year which was 
kind of extraordinary given the given the context of of the season. And the balls, there, that was it. The one season wonders never to be seen again. Well, this is a bit of a mystery because no one can really remember that I've spoken <laughs> to. And in the wisdom of the following year, they said the TCCB stuck to their guns and and kept the ball. So as far as I can tell, the ball was kept. I think the pitch directives changed. So I think they had some mercy for the bowlers mm. and allowed the pitches to be slightly more bowler friendly, which negated how awful the ball was to bowl with. Mm. Um, but yeah, it just it, 30 years ago, obviously it's quite a long time, but it, it just writing about it, reading about it, it just felt like another age entirely. Uh, that is really interesting. Um, so that's coming out in the next Wizard Computer Monthly, for which there is a special offer there for is, the digital version. So you can get your first three issues for just £2.99, if you go to bit.ly forward slash WCM special. So get on that if you haven't already. So what's the, hang on, what is actually is the deal? Sam sorted this out for us. So it's... Get your first three issues for £2.99. So less than a pound for your first three issues. Mm, exactly. On Sunday, Australia stormed to a fifth Women's T20 World Cup win. Um, it's their fifth in the last six competitions thoroughly one-sided affair Alyssa Healy and Beth Mooney hit the two highest scores ever hit in a T20 World Cup final opening the batting together from that point on that, that the, the game was basically that from there they very nearly filled out the MCG the final attendance was just over 86,000 nearly breaking the world record for the most people at a women's sporting event Joe we got the result we expected in the end even though the route we took to get there was a bit unexpected but a thoroughly dominant performance from an amazing cricket team yeah, I mean, in a, in a sense, it's a bit of a shame the final wasn't more of an event in terms of a close cricketing match. Obviously, as a spectacle and a, an event in itself, it was it was a success. But it would be churlish to kind of do anything other than, than praise of an awesome Australian side who obviously were underperforming earlier in the tournament, um, even the Tri Nations before the start of the tournament. Uh, but then come the final, they did what what they performed like we know they are as a side, which is probably the best female side that's that's ever taken to a cricket field um, Alyssa Healy came to the tournament in shocking form turned that round entirely of course they didn't even have Elise Perry who's probably the the best women's cricketer ever um, still managed to cope without her uh, India will be frustrated this is a the World Cup final obviously where they lost to England was a different circumstance but they, they kind of blew that one this one they didn't really turn up albeit in the face of an excellent Australian side um, so it was a it was a fitting end to the tournament in the sense that Australia was so dominant. It was a bit of a shame we didn't get a closer match. Um, but I think as a tournament overall, it, it was a success. I think in terms of the cricket play, it was a really high quality. You've just got that blip of the semi-final or mm. where England are still feeling a bit sore about it. And, and we still don't know if they're going to change the rules for the for the men's version later you in the year. I guarantee they will. Yeah. I'm sure they will. You'd hope common but, sense would yeah, prevail. But, but, let's, but, not, let's not dwell on that. Yeah. It, it is... a parochially and this has been a parochial show what's your moment of the week well Matt Parker's took four for there's been a world final in the last four days I'm aware of it feels that. like quite a long time ago though, it does it, it the, does yeah. um, but from a parochial point of view it's frustrating that England and Australia didn't get to play each other mm. you know the two most advanced developed setups out there neither of the, neither of which faced, faced one another that's a shame it's a shame for the tournament um, for the final itself uh, it, it's it was vintage Australian obliteration. Um, no other team in big finals historically across men and women, and Lisa Healy's won five world titles now, but across across women and men, no team relishes that kind of obliteration quite as much as Australia. And I was listening to the Grade Cricketer podcast and 
they were they were really loving it. They were loving the fact that it was an appalling mismatch and that they showed absolutely no let-up whatsoever, that they did it the Australian way. They batted first and they batted hard and they'd already won the game after 15 minutes when they were 30 for naught of two or whatever. Elisa, Elisa Healy hits four sixes, screens one over extra cover. That is an incredible shot. That is way. a great that shot. That's incredible why I mentioned it. Because if you haven't seen it, folks, go out and find that shot because that is a stunner. Uh, yeah, and then you know I got them thirty for three or whatever it was, and and won one by one by an innings and plenty equivalent. Um, and then of course in the full kit went and had a dance with with Katy Perry yeah. up on the podium. So all in all, that is a that is a seriously. <laughs> Uh, showy performance, isn't it? By, I, by a team that's rewritten the rules about it, women's cricket. They were under so much pressure to get to that final, particularly with the rain around. and the, They were basically 10 minutes away from elimination. If the rain had gone on for another 10 minutes, it would have been South Africa in the final. Um, and I, I thought it was a very, use the word fitting, I thought it was a fitting celebration of what has been a team that's just taken women's cricket to the next level. And to do that in front of a pretty much full MCG with Katy Perry basically celebrating with them was, was, was pretty cool. And and uh, a tribute to the success story that is the Women's Big Bash as well, mm. which has really led the way in women's cricket. We're still waiting for the women's IPL. England had a go with the KSL, but let's be honest, the Big Bash is on a whole whole different level to anything we've seen. And perhaps the Women's 100 will, will change that this summer. That remains to be seen. But um, the improvement in some of those Australian players, Beth Mooney, Alyssa Healy, I mean, who had a very average first half of her international career, and is now an uh, extraordinary player. Um, so consistent, apart from the little blip she had before the yeah. start of the tournament. And this all, is all a huge credit to the Big Bash and, and what it's been able to do and what it, the opportunities it's provided players, not just in Australia, but outside of Australia as well. Um, as Crick Viz's Ben Jones tweeted during or just after the final... He sent a tweet, has he? He sent a tweet. He does, he does a lot of tweets. He, he tweeted that Alyssa Healy and Mitchell Stark, husband and wife, both of them have basically won a World Cup final at the MCG in the first five minutes. Oh, um, yeah. That's all right, isn't it? Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah, but, that was... but as they, they they made the point in the great cricket that Elisa uh, Healy's alphaed her own man completely <laughs> because, you know, a 70-man woman of the match performance comfortably play, outplays just kind of arcing one in to Brendan in, in, in the first over, you know. He um he got a special dispensation to be there, didn't he? Yeah. So, so he was meant to be playing in the ODI series and said, "This is a once in a lifetime opportunity to watch my my partner doing." Yeah, this. it was quite interesting. Was nice. Justin Lang was asked about it, and he said exactly that. But he said, "Well, he's Mitch. Mitch needs a bit of a rest. He's played a lot of cricket and schedule very full." But yeah, it was nice for him. We've to, certainly come a long uh, way, anyway. Australian cricket, um, when you can get a dispensation to go and watch your your partner play in her own game in front of a packed MCG. I mean, this is this is one or two steps. Along from the the days of Jeffrey Thompson and one or two others, you know, this is this is this is a good sign of an, e- an evolving cricketing culture, and one that's been ahead of the curve really when it comes to women's cricket. Fair play to them. Time for some Darren Sammy news. Um, this is brilliant. This is my moment of the week actually. So Darren Sammy has been named as the Peshawar Zalmi's new head coach in the Pakistan Super League. Right. Nothing too extraordinary about that, except for the fact this has happened midway through the ongoing PSL season. And he'd been the captain until that point. Um, he played their first four games, batted seven and bowled one over in those first four games. Um, and yeah, he was announced on the spot in a press conference. Is he still he, captain? He is no longer captain. Wahab Riaz is captain. And Sammy is available for selection, but hasn't been playing. And Mohamed Akram was the coach. He is now both the director of cricket and the so, bowling coach. So this is, is the this... first player coach. 
well, he's not really playing anymore, but, but yeah. he, he would be. In, in, he's in playing theory. already in the tournament. Yeah, yeah but has the coaching vacancy effectively been opened up because he wasn't really worth his place in the well, side? Can't look at that. I think there's a bit, bit of background to it. Sammy has a very, very close relationship with Bashawa. He's played in all. He's been in their team since the first yeah. edition of the PSL, and he's been uh, a crucial player in that Bashawa, a very, very successful team as well. So. Even though changing your coach midway through a season doesn't look like good management, that is what they what they've done, um, and they and they've been successful up until this point. He'll be a good coach as well. Mm. Yeah, I've, I interviewed him here a few years ago for a charity match they're having, uh, and he's just one of those awesomely impressive people. As soon as you start speaking to him, you can see why he's such a good captain. He's just kind of got a, an aura around him, mm. and he's not been. It was not so long ago that he was one of the best T20 players around, but mm. he's he's not been that for a while now, has he? He's quite old. He's, he's thirty. He's thirty six. Um, and we're going to talk about the PSL in more detail on next week's show. But there is a player who uh, I think he's 19. He's going to play for Pakistan very soon. A guy called Haider Ali. Mm. He is. He looks amazing. I saw him a little bit in the under 19 World Cup, but he didn't. I mean, due to rain, he didn't play that well. He scored a 50 in the semi-final defeat to India. But his his record's amazing. He averages more than 40 in first-class cricket, list A cricket, and he's one of the leading run scorers in the PSL. And he also has something that. Pakistan don't really have, which is firepower. They don't have that much of that in in T Twenty cricket at the moment. Stylish well, player for, as for, well, and for a long period of time, that's mm. been their their problem, hasn't it? Despite being the best side in the world, you you imagine if Baba could have a friend in that middle order, and it may well be this lad. You know, he's he's bigger than Baba, but he's got elements of of his game. Right hander times it beautifully through the covers. The bits that I've seen online, anyway. Uh, yeah, Pakistan would be a proper fight fighting side, wouldn't they, if they can just find another player in there in that middle order. That'd be mm. glorious. They've got some serious players coming through, haven't they? And I remember one of the fears I had was that cricket in Pakistan, cricket not being played in Pakistan might mean that some people, the players wouldn't necessarily be attracted to it in the same way, but it doesn't seem to have happened at all. They're mm. still just churning them out. Yes, I've got an idea. I've got an ongoing idea. Uh, Darren Sammy took seven for 60 for the West Indies. At, I think it was a... Leeds, maybe not. Can't can't remember. Um, in a test match against England on debut, might have been on debut. I think it was on debut. Yeah, L- ludicrous figures for you know a workaday, occasional seamer. In fairness, who didn't really put up any trees in test cricket. Seven for sixty. Um, how about these kind of ludicrous days in the sun? <laughs> Implausible days in the sun. Batsman bowlers who have no real pedigree in that, that particular discipline but for that day they are untouchable so Jack Leach 92 Jason Gillespie double hundreds but if, more niche versions of that basically. yeah if you like yeah but but, but niche-ish versions so yeah, I've, I like I've, I've got one to throw in there oh, sweet. so uh, Jonathan Trott uh, his best first class figures are 7 for 39 what uh, he took against Kent in a county game now I've never seen any footage of this I don't <laughs> really believe that it happened but what were the conditions like for Jonathan Trott to take 7 for 39 well, that, that is amazing so yeah I'm going to get the scorecard up. You carry on. Alan Border Border took 11 wickets at Sydney in a test match. Michael Clark took loads of wickets in a test match when he was really young. Michael Clark took six for nine in a test match in India. To win it as well. It was like right at the end of the test. I'm not sure if it clinched it or if... I think it was the third innings from memory. Okay. Uh, Yeah, six for nine. Good figures, those. You take those, wouldn't you? So just like the wacky scorecards from last week, if you've got any... uh, And how how and why? How and why this happened? Yeah, Exactly. If you've got any other Trot, Jonathan Trot sevenfers, send them in to us on Twitter. Um, <laughs> I, lo- I love that kind of stuff. Um, I'm trying to think of any more. I, something I've always, slightly different. I've always been interested in players who've had 
mediocre international careers mm-hmm. who have particularly good records against England. Mm. Uh, Blackwood, Jermaine Blackwood. Yes. <laughs> Can't stop yeah. scoring runs against yeah. England. Uh, can I can I throw back to Jonathan Trott? Yeah. Is that all right? So I've just got that score cut up. So in that innings, Kent scored 594. Uh, so it's a road. <laughs> Ed Smith scored 213. Matt Walker, 121. Uh, at one stage, they're 534 for three. Trot comes into the attack, takes seven for 39. Um, four of them caught behind the wicket by Keith Piper. Lovely. So it's, it's obviously just started doing a little bit. <laughs> after, after <laughs> so what, two so days. what was it collapsed? So they were 500 and... They were 534 for three. Co- collapsed to 594, all out. Um, and trot, trot, trot polishes them off. <laughs> that is amazing. That is amazing. Um... There was an absolute T20i classic this week between Ireland and Afghanistan. I, I thought, to I thought I missed this, this was your moment of the week. You having um, two moments of the week? Yeah, so because you, you said last week I don't always have one, so and, making up and for lost time. Like there wasn't much cricket this week. Well there, well, there was actually quite a lot. Yeah. So uh, Afghanistan were already two 0 up in this series. In the last game, Ireland get 142, and then Afghanistan looked like they're doing all right in the run chase. They're, they're on top of things, but Ireland do well to to stem the flow of runs. And suddenly Afghanistan needed um, over 10 and over to, to, to win the game. It looked like they weren't going to do it. Then Rashid Khan comes in and smashes 14 off six to force a super over. Um, in the super over, Afghanistan get eight off the over, bowled by Craig Young. And then Rashid Khan is bowling to Paul Sterling and Kevin O'Brien in the super over, I mean, which is, which is brilliant. Mm. But this is all live streamed for free. So you can watch this on, on YouTube very easily. Um, and off the last ball... Ireland needed three to win. Kevin and Brian on strike. Rashid Khan, the bowler, and Kevin O'Brien sends him over his head for six. Of course, he does. Wonderful shot, and then that, that's the game. Um, so yeah, that was that was brilliant. And also, serious point in Ireland. They've got uh, the the development of Gareth Delaney is really important for them. Um, he's a leg spinning all rounder who took two for twenty one that game and top scored with them for the bat. He's only twenty one, I think. So for him doing well, Ireland haven't had that many young batsmen come through. Mm. So seeing that is, is a really encouraging sign. And on, on Ireland. Hopefully it will go ahead, but it was announced this week that they will be playing a, an ODI series against Bangladesh in England with one of the games at the Oval, which will be good mm. to see. Particularly yeah. Bangladesh have fond memories of the Oval from last summer in the World Cup. Um, well, they'll get a good good support along. Yeah. Definitely. Absolutely. Um, I thought your moment of the week might have been when I flat-batted that uh, rising straight oh. drive and, and almost uh, hung, drawn and quartered your stomach. Yeah, so for context, um, <laughs> we're having a net the other day and see it's been a fallow week yeah i bowled um short short and wide ball mm. outside off stump phil tried to pull it into not the true. leg side not true tried to pull it in the leg side kind of toe-ended it and <laughs> it came right at me smacked me in the stomach really okay. quite hard and my instant reaction was and like trying to clutch my Did stomach sort of absorb it into your abbey. stomach yeah yeah a lot of a lot of absorbing and then the ball kind of bounced off my stomach and uh, your washboard stomach I kind of realised oh the ball caught it and then oh out, you caught, caught it caught, caught, yeah, yeah so technically it was out yeah not technically well, no, it just technically about out. it it's just out that's, uh, that's, <laughs> yeah it, I can't even be bothered to go into it but I was not <laughs> trying to pull that ball it was a Peterson-esque 
cross bat flat straight drive that you got in the way of. That's what it was, Yazim. Um, took it well. You did. You did. Uh, well, well taken. Had to take five minutes off because I was really quite winded by it. You and did, got, yeah. Got quite a significant bruise and lump. All uh, worth to, it, to though, show, I imagine. Yeah. All worth it. All worth it. All good um, content. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that is all we've got time for for today's show so thanks for listening folks thanks Phil thanks Joe cheers if you enjoy the show tell your friend and if you're you're feeling extra kind please leave a five star review cheers Sports Social Podcast Network